0: My goal was always to be in the UN. I thought I was going to be a diplomat. Um, I threw that in the trash. But but the storytelling aspect of it all, I think, does actually run deep. And there is a real common denominator between uh, the things that I've,
1: I've done. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode 217. Our guest is Yael Wisner Levy, VP of Communications at Lemonade. Yael Wisner Levy is the Vice President of Communications at Lemonade, a digital insurance company powered by artificial intelligence and behavioral economics and driven by social good. Previously, Yael was a speechwriter and communications consultant for political and business leaders, having written for heads of state, CEOs of multi billion dollar corporations, and non governmental organizations. Prior to that, she worked as a journalist at various media outlets, including Haaretz and Israel's Channel 10 News, serving also as the channel's correspondent to the UK. Yael also worked with former Congressman Steve Israel, New York Democrat in DC. She holds an MSc from the London School of Economics. Yael, yeah, Wisner, Lovey, thank you so much for being on my show. I'm so incredibly excited to have you here. I am
0: too. Thanks for having me, Michael.
1: I've been waiting for this for a long time. You're one of the most wanted uh, you know, <laughs> high-tech entrepreneurs, communications writers, whatever you want to call it in the world because the work that you've been doing with... Well, yes, it just shows by me getting a hold of you and every person that I talk to says how, how amazing you are because the work that you've done with Lemonade, with the, with being vice president of communications there in a company that is revolutionizing the way that you know content is being delivered in the world of insurance, and I'm now in the insurance space with HIPPO Insurance, so I get to appreciate this art of communications and content there. It's remarkable. But I actually know you back from your speech writing days mm-hmm. and previously as a news anchor. So you have a breadth of, of experience in in the world of communications. Ziel, take me back to the good old days. You're back with Channel 10 News and then I-24 News. Why journalism? Why communications? <laughs>
0: I I will take you definitely back, um, but I have to comment on those crazy, crazy compliments you gave earlier. I can't take any of the credit. I work with an incredible team, um, and I know Hippo also has a really outstanding team, but here at Lemonade, I've been fortunate enough to work with really the the best entrepreneurs, I think, on the planet um, and learning from them and and just kind of being here for five years. I'm actually celebrating my five-year anniversary here at Lemonade. It has been an unbelievable journey, uh, on a personal level Five but, years as well. Yeah. But also on a professional level, really working side by side with, with the top of the, the best, like really, really uh, top talent. Um, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah, as, as you mentioned, I had a unorthodox way of jumping into the tech scene. Um, but I like to say that if you look back and try to connect the dots, it's actually very clear. It just wasn't clear at the time when I was in my twenties and I was going through, as you said, journalism to politics, back to journalism, back to politics. Um, it was it looked like I was like you know hopping around whereas I feel like I was just you know diving deeper and deeper into this world of storytelling. Um, and storytelling is actually the elements of it are, are pretty basic and you put it in journalism or you put it in politics or you put it in tech and the very kind of elements and the fundamentals of storytelling are the same. And um, I started my storytelling experience, if you will, um, right after the army uh, here in Israel. Actually, even before, like I, I was, uh, I grew up in a home that was um, very much of a storyteller's home. S- uh, books and stories and, and my mother's a teacher, as you know, um, were part of the everyday life. Um, and I always, I always like to write and, and, and kind of delve into that. Um. After the Army, I worked in the U.S. Congress um, for a Democrat from New York, um, and that's where I was exposed for the first time to storytelling kind of as a profession that was beyond right. just like the, you know, what I had known before that as, you know, authors and, and so forth. Uh, suddenly, I saw all these, you know, members of Congress that would come into the Senate or the House, and um, they wouldn't say a word without having their speechwriter write it for them. And it wasn't right. because they were incompetent. They were actually, they're extremely incompetent individuals. And I was lucky enough to work with um, Representative Steve Israel from uh, New York, um, but they understood the power of the word and the power of everything that they were saying. Um, had the, they had the opportunity to change hearts and minds. They had the opportunity to get bills passed. They had the opportunity um, to get uh, votes for their um, legislation. But whatever it was, they understood that there was an opportunity here, and there was an opportunity that could not be missed. And if you have that opportunity, you have that time, you have the attention of someone in front of you, how do you use it to optimize what you're saying so that people want to hear you and active, activate or go out and implement what you just said? And uh, that, that fascinated me, that kind of very idea. Is that it's really human behavior of how we internalize something and we decide to go do something because we read it or we saw it, or we're actually, you know, looking at someone as a role model and trying to replicate or emulate them. Um, And representative Israel, congressman Israel was um, really, uh, he he saw this in me and I saw, and I was itching to write. Um, And it was the year after the second Lebanese war. And he was uh, putting through a lot of uh, legislation in Congress around um, the end of the, the war. And, I, I asked to write some of his speeches. I asked to like input a lot of uh, what he would be saying on the on the floor of the house. Um, and that's where it kind of started um, from there. Wow. I went into Haaretz um, and was a editor on the website for three years and then went to channel 10 here in Israel, which is now channel 13. Um, right. And uh, I 24 news. And then I 24 news um, studied in London I, I, my my goal was always to be in the UN. I thought I was going to be a diplomat. Um, I threw that in the trash. But but the storytelling aspect of it all, I think, does actually run deep, and there is a real common denominator between uh, the things that I've I've done. So if I, if I can even say anything that I learned from that is, you know, everything will make sense in the end. Uh, you if you follow right. kind of your passion and, and continue doing things that you like, you don't need to create your resume in advance, you actually, you look back and you'll say, wow, that actually really does make sense.
1: Yeah. The very first thing that he said was storytelling. It's, it's pretty basic and it's roots, but I have to tell you, I took a class uh, very recently at Stanford with David Demarest. He was a, a senior staffer for the White House for George Bush Sr. And, and we got, we had dinner a few times and the stories that he told me about the responsibility, he wrote most of the speeches for George uh, Bush, the senior, and the, the responsibility and the burden of being the storyteller with the nuances, and you wrote speeches for heads of state, presidents, CEOs, right? And so it's not just telling, t- taking the content and putting it in the nice way, but it's actually the art of delivering it and convincing others in your message. And and I can only imagine, you know, the the responsibility and the anxiousness of watching them deliver the speech and seeing the reactions, because we can see, especially in 2020, with the elections on all sides how every speech, every debate is so fundamentally crucial to the position of the candidates that I can only imagine uh, the skills that you have to build. And what's remarkable, I think, about your journey that I'm getting a lot of inspiration from is I see a trend today that people are moving very, very quickly between domains as if it's like a checkbox. Mm-hmm. And while you've moved quite a bit from different domains, you've really dug deep into them. You've spent you know, five to seven years in, in editing and journalism and then in speech writing and now in high tech, five years spending in, in, in a hyper-growth startup. That's, that's incredible. So, so while you did change, you really dug deep into all of those subjects. Do you feel that way?
0: Yes. And I think I do in retrospect, I don't, I don't claim to have known all of this ahead of time. I didn't go out and say, I'm going to spend five years here. I mean, had you asked me uh, six years ago, if I, if if I thought I'd be working in an insurance company, I would have thought you were (laughs) absolutely crazy. Um, That wasn't on my grand scheme of things, but I can say that um, one thing I have learned, and this is only in retrospect. So everything, we're all so smart in retrospect um, is that the focus and kind of when you kind of focus on one or two skills that you want to hone on and, and understand and get really good at um, you have, there's, there's only focus. You can't spread yourself too thin. Um, you have to know what you're good at and what you want to get better at. And I th- I'm, I'm a true believer in, in getting better at, at stuff that you're not great at. Um, but mm-hmm. I also think that when you focus on something and you don't try to win it all, um, you get to, you get to interesting results um, so what are
1: you really good at? What, oh, what are your, what is your focus?
0: So I think, I think I'm, I'm trying to understand the flexibility and the, the dynamics of storytelling to its core. Um, I was, as I said, like when I was just starting out, I was absolutely sure I was going to be a journalist forever. And then that kind of turned into, well, journalism is great. And I, and I, you know, I, I think I can give a lot and learn a lot. But I don't think it's actually going to change policy. Um, and then I wanted very much to go into the foreign service and and be a diplomat. And I went to I went to school in London, thinking that that would be like my next the next stop uh, before the UN or something like that. And I think um, understanding in London, my understanding there was, um, sure you can go into the foreign service, but actually, as you said, the person really helping some of the leaders. Formulate their policy are these you know ghostwriters or speechwriters or whatever you'd like to call them, and so that fascinated me. I said you know it's not only about the words; it's about who you're working with. And, and I was fortunate enough to work with really top uh, leaders here in Israel writing their speeches in English. Um, and then that 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 kind of uh, relationship also um, really fascinated me because I said, "Wow, if you take that relationship, you put it to business to public companies." And you work with, you know, CEOs of a public company on uh, formulating their message. How are they going to speak when they have earnings calls and stuff like that? Um, that really uh, fascinated me as well. And I, and I was fortunate to work with the CEO of Teva Pharmaceuticals for a while. Wow. And, I, and I started adding on clients in, in business, not only in politics, and understanding that in terms of, you know, the storytelling, if I go back to what I started with, this is, this is fascinating. This is something that, you know, you keep on learning and learning and learning. And if I can focus on that um, and get better and, and kind of expand my knowledge in um, the storytelling realm by working with different leaders, um, I really will expand my knowledge base in general. Um, and then it was, it was pretty clear to me um, after a few years doing that, that technology and um, Silicon Valley was where maybe policy was even trumping uh, a lot of things that are in government and uh, no pun intended that didn't sound very good very now but um i did i did kind of feel like i wanted to join something that was bigger than what i could do by myself
1: and, wait, wait yeah, we, we're gonna yeah. dive into it but i have sure. to ask before that because I, ha- I i need you to take us into the mind of the storyteller for a second because you know, the majority of the people listening to this, including myself, are young, scrappy, hungry entrepreneurs. That are that are, you know, we tell ourselves stories, and we and we think of the world, and we and we keep trying to reinvent things that are happening around us. Yet, I, I'd love to learn a little bit from you when you approach a story, whether it's a, writing a, helping write a speech for a president or for a CEO or for a limited. What, what are What is some of the thought process that goes into building this narrative that, at the end, others want to follow? And, I, and I'm genuinely asking this because I'm curious to what, what constitutes a good story, a good narrative.
0: So I think uh, the, one of the first things that you have to think about when you're writing anything and is is who you're writing for. Who are the audience and what do you want them to feel? What do you want them to take away from it? Because everyone has, you know especially now, like zero attention span. Um, right. people, people are on the go. They're getting their information in 10 different ways that you didn't, you didn't even optimize for. Um, right. So you're trying to, when you're trying to write something, you really need to narrow down. This goes back to the focus, like focus on who exactly you want to be reading this and what they want to be feeling or what you want them to be feeling. And when you have that in mind, you can kind of create that story in a way that makes sense, not for you. A lot of times we're writing and we think, this is my story. Sure, it may be your story, but if you want people to go and and execute on that story or buy your product or believe in you and vote for you or whatever it is that you want them to do, you really have to think about them um, and what they're feeling and, and kind of create that story for them and not for you. And I think that's a lot, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive because you're, you know, you open up your Google Docs and you start typing and you feel like you're sharing who you are, but it's actually not really about you. It's about your end customer whether that be 100%. your constituent or your customer um, or your, or your parents, if you're, you know, whatever it is, who, who is this audience? Um, and then the second thing that I would say is that because we have such a short attention span, you need content, you need stories or data points or whatever it is that you're constructing that mm-hmm. sticks, sticky content, they call it. And something that, you know, people will walk away if they can remember one thing from what you just wrote or what you just said, or, or the graph or the infographic that you made, what will that be? Um, and sometimes you need to shock them. Sometimes it needs to be something that is actually inspiring and not just fluffy content, which a lot of people like to, you know, you, Oh, I read a nice quote somewhere. Let me put it in, but nobody really f- remembers it. Like what is a sticky part of your content that you're going to be leaving the audience with? Um, I guess that would be my two, two big How
1: tips. do you, how do you know that? So when I'm sitting down and I'm preparing a talk or I'm preparing a letter how, how do I know if something is going to stick? Do you, do you test it out before? Do you get feedback from others? And, and how, do, how do you run all those experiments? Because that, that sounds complicated.
0: It is. Uh, it's a lot of uh, trial and error. And it's a lot of getting to know your audience. So sometimes you'll write something and it'll fall flat. So sometimes people will like that. They'll say, okay, I wrote something. People read it, but it didn't do anything. And sometimes that's like comforting because, okay, it, it didn't move the needle, but it, at least it didn't get anyone angry. <laughs> um, on the other hand, if you take more risks and you're, you go out on a limb and you say, I'm not going to speak to everyone. I'm going to speak to, you know, 2% of my audience, because I know that those 2% are the most engaged and they will follow me and they'll come after me if I ask them to, um, you know, you see that a lot in politics. It's not only, I was just
1: about to say, I mean, we're watching it unfold live, these different tactics, right? And so,
0: and so you don't want you can't win everyone and you can't win the hearts and minds of everyone. But if you go and you say something that will, you know, make someone's ears perk up and another person's and another person's, you're probably going to get a more engaged audience than if you say, you know, kind of the cliches that everyone's used to. Um, And so that's you have to be a risk taker. It's a lot, a lot of risk and be prepared to kind of own what you're saying.
1: So when you sit down and listen to a speech, when you watch the news or when you're listening to somebody talk, do you cringe sometimes? Like, do you, ha- are you, uh, do you have like wheels in motion saying like, oh, this is the tactic that they're using. They're alluding to something bigger. They're trying to get me to feel these emotions. Do you have that process?
0: Yeah, sometimes I try to take it off because, you know, you, you don't want to become too cynical. Like You want to right. believe <laughs> that there's, you know, that the, the cynicism will at the end, you know, really make us... Uh, uh, not optimistic to be. So I want to keep the hope alive. I want to think that, you know, that there are people that are speaking genuinely and they're not trying to, um, you know, artificially implant all kinds of like speaking tactics and rhetoric and stuff like that. And I do believe that there are people out there that are speaking from their, their heart and their brain and and not just trying to, um, rouse up the crowds. Um, but yes, you can't ignore it. Once you see it, it's like, you can't unsee it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I love it. Yael, so Vice President of Communications at Lemonade, hyper growth startup, you're joining very from the early days. And that's a fascinating uh, thing, because you're coming in from the the political world right into high tech. What is that experience like? And what, 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 what was the journey like reinventing the messaging behind insurance?
0: So as I said, from the start, I really am privileged to be able to work with two of the Finest entrepreneurs that I can think of today, uh, Daniel Schreiber and Chai Wininger. Um, they were tech veterans, and they had been around, been around the tech scene, so to speak. And when they stopped at insurance, they found an opportunity that really was this huge opportunity because it was so unchanged. It had gone through decades, if not centuries, of of stagnation. It was so unloved. You know, when they came and when I heard about insurance for the first time through Lemonade, I said, you know, that sounds like I don't know, it can't be something compelling, um, but they right. found, but that actually, you know, the, the, fact, the fact that it was unchanged and unloved was a huge uh, market opportunity and a huge storytelling opportunity uh, because suddenly right. you can change the perception of something that is really uh, um, such a fundamental part of society, right? And when something goes wrong, you want to make sure that you have something to, to cover you. Um, and why did it go? Why did it lose its way? What happened to that story of insurance that started really as communities coming together and really lost its way um, through, through the kind of evolution of society? It kind of really ignored every other revolution that went through. Insurance stayed the same. Um, and I think that part of the story of, you know, taking on an industry that was so vast, um, but also so unloved is like a storyteller's dream. It's a, it's a, it's an entrepreneur dream. It's a, it's a product dream, right? You can go, you can see it through any lens that you'd like. Um, But really uh, understanding the opportunity here, uh, both to work with Daniel and Chai and and the rest of the team and also understanding the opportunity at hand for the world. Lemonade is also a B corporation. So understanding that we're a for-profit business but we have like social good embedded in our business model Mm -hmm. was something that um, I wanted to be part of that story. I wanted to tell that story. Um, and as I said, you know, joining something that is bigger than the sum of yourself is is really gratifying in the end, if it works. and if even if it doesn't work, it, it's great.
1: <laughs> and it, it almost it's almost like the ultimate challenge for a storyteller because you're literally, trying to change the perception of what it means to be insurance because just like yourself I think the majority of the people they think of insurance until today and they think of like okay this is the enemy they're trying to take my money and maybe if I can maybe if I have an accident I can finally get the money back from them right it's almost like a, a win in front of your insurance company and all of a sudden here you're trying to, to work on a startup that is trying to create a social contract with insurance what, what was the biggest challenge there with sort of trying to reinvent that messaging?
0: So it's everything that you said. Like, how do we make insurance interesting for for people that never really either liked insurance or, or mm-hmm. in our case, especially people that never had insurance before? Um, you know, we a lot of our our customers are first time insurance buyers, meaning they never ever had insurance. And what why what will make them want to come to Lemonade? Um, and I and we talk about Lemonade in general and, and insurance. I think Hippo does also similar uh, messaging. Is you know is understanding that. Um, insurance can be lovable. It can be spoken about in a way that nobody ever dared to speak about it before. And when we launched in New York in September, 2016, we started seeing people tweet about their lemonade experience being delightful and amused. And is it weird that I love my insurance company? And it started ringing also back to us saying, you know, we're onto something. And if we make an experience that is absolutely delightful from start to finish, that is seamless and fun and and brings smiles to people's faces and they can choose a charity that they'd like to support, then we're really kind of changing the entire fundamentals of insurance, um, not just the financials, but really how people interact with it. And and that's a, kind of the ultimate story.
1: No, and I, obviously I think from, from the set, and I've been following the journey for a long time, there's so many different facets that you've employed in order to change that narrative, starting from the transparency of being fully transparent from day zero. And, and you know, you, when you think of insurance, you think of this like big monster that's like getting all the cash and all of a sudden you're being transparent about the financials and about the intentions. And uh, and I think that I, I gained a lot of inspiration and, and I'm you know, I'm delighted to be now with a self-bounded hippo and, and seeing also how how you know, the different companies, somehow all of them are Israelis, right? also Next Insurance, they're coming in. And all of a sudden, like, such a big field is changing so dramatically. And, and at the end, it's for the benefit of a lot of people. It's for the benefit of millions Absolutely. of people. Uh, but unfortunately, I can't believe 20 minutes are almost up. I have about 100 different questions that I wanted to ask here. Yel, I, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. Back from when uh, you, you very generously donated your time to come, to one of my debate programs or debate clubs (laughs) at school to teach us about storytelling. And, and that was one of the most inspiring sessions that we had. And I've been in that, I was in that club for about five years. Uh, So thank thank you you going all the way back there. And before we leave, I have to ask you for three words that you would use to describe yourself. Oh,
0: you ask tough questions. Um, The hardest one. Yeah, it is. I don't I, I don't want to self describe, but I can tell you the three things that I kind of um, really admire and I hope that I use in my when I'm with my I love team. That. Um, and they know this and so I'm happy to kind of spread spread it around. But the three things that I really admire in, in a in a person, in a leader, um, are resilience, integrity, and compassion. And I think that the the three of them together really kind of uh, touch upon different aspects of, of, of leadership, but also of human behavior that is crucial, um, especially, especially in 2020.
1: <laughs> especially in 2020. Yael, yeah. Todagaba, thank you so much. I can't wait to share this thank with you. the world. And, and best of luck with everything that you're doing.
0: Thank you.